If you would, I want you to begin by doing something a little different this morning. If you could take out a pen and take out the bulletin. You should have received the bulletin at the front. I want us to write down something you look forward to one morning this week that got you out of bed or encouraged you out the front door. Just something that stands out one morning this week that you you remember getting out of bed, getting out the front door, looking forward to something. We'll come back to this later, it's important. And as you're doing that, turn with me in your Bibles if you got up to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 21 of 1 John 5 and finish our series in 1 John, a lot like life. Hear God's word. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whomever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. We've heard this before. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has a testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God you may know you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we've asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin that does not lead to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that does lead to death. I do not say one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. He who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. And His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God and eternal life. 
Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is God's word. The way I think John kind of sets this up in my own words, I'll give you his words too, but my own words is this, okay, you've made it this far, and so you've proved your, proved your faith. So now let me encourage you in the fight of life, in the fight that is your life. You've made it this far, let me encourage you. And he says, if you look at verse 13, John says, I write you these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. I'm here at the end of this book, and I'm writing you these things to remind you, you have eternal life. And I think John is actually contrasting this on purpose with what he says in his gospel, at the end of his gospel. He finishes writing his gospel in a similar way, but notice the difference. This is from the gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. I've written this to you. This is written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. So in his letter, he says, you who believe in his gospel so that you may believe. In his letter, know that you have eternal life in his gospel. I've written this so that you may have life. You might have life. In other words, he says, I've written this gospel so you might have the opportunity to trust in Jesus as your God so that you might have life. And in this letter, he assures them at the end of his letter, you've gotten this far. You do trust Jesus. You see that? You have trusted in Jesus. You've made it this far and living out the love of God expressed in this letter I've written to you. And friends, you too have lasted through this sermon series and this letter, right? Through some grueling examinations and challenges we found here in 1 John. Unpopular messages. And you've lasted. As I step back, so too have many of you lasted. You who turned one year and came out into two. Some of you who turned two years living here into three. Some of you turned three years into four. And you stuck with God. And you stuck with His imperfect church. And you lasted, you endured, you persevered. And some of you are leaving. There are a number of folks who stayed with the church a little longer, who stuck it out, who are leaving. And I want to say about your time here, way to last. Way to endure. And way to, way to persevere with God and with His people. And that deserves encouragement. And I know I'll see you again. John says so here, that you have eternal life. And I think I do too. (laughs) Because we have trusted Jesus as our God. And I just want to commend you for that. And this kind of assurance, this kind of encouragement, it's needed. Because every day you step out the front door, you are stepping into a war. You step into a battle of war. We have our kids in the service this morning. Happy to have you kids with us. And how many of you kids like video games? Raise your hand. If you are a child, teenager, it doesn't matter how old you are. Raise your hand if you like video games. Yes, some of you who are still children at heart. Maturity is still coming for you. You're hopeful. Oh, we just hope you get married. Okay. Um, 
But one of the ways I know that I have crossed the threshold of oldness, there are a few ways, there are more I'm recognizing every day, one of which is that these video games last like for ages now. I think you can play, I mean like they, they design these games so that like you basically have to dedicate like a solid month. When I played, when I was a kid, you couldn't save a video game. Right? You just could never save it. You either won or you didn't win. Or you always worried that someone's going to accidentally press the reset button or, or if, if more than an hour, you had to get out the cartridge out and blow on it. Remember that? Like, <sighs> come on. Mike Tyson's punch out. <laughs> Tech Mobile was my favorite, though. Anyway. One thing, though, has stayed the same, and that is games are designed. They are set up so that everything and everyone in the game, every creature is against you. Our boys like this game, this, this Wii game, called Super Mario Galaxy. All right, everything starts off in this game. You get this, but the other thing with these games is like, you start to try to play the game. As, I don't understand this either. You start to try to play the game and you realize this is just like an animated, you, can't, you don't even control it. It's like, wait a minute, how do I, am I playing this? Am I playing this? And you realize it's like a two-minute video. And I don't understand. I'm like, wow, I'm doing really well. Mason's like, uh, Dad, you're not playing yet. All right. All right. But everything starts off, so we start playing this game, and even as you play, things start off happy in this game. You earn coins and this and that, little things, and, and Mario is with Princess Peach, and they're holding hands, and the boys are like, oh, gross, you know, and disgusting. It's a boy holding a girl's hand, and my boys are eight and six. And to be truthful, I, I sometimes say gross to that as well, you know, like, mm-hmm. But, but things are great. They start off happy. That's the point. And they, and they say, like, man, this game stinks. What's the point? But then finally you realize that the princess is captured by King Koopa. And off you go, and the game starts, and everything's against you, and you try to win. Try to rescue the princess. But the idea is, they are mentally prepared for the Wii game world they inhabit to be set up against them. My question is, are we? Are we prepared? As we read in verse 19, which is kind of the crux of this whole passage, we know we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. God, holiness, righteousness that is in you by faith in Jesus Christ walks out of the door every day to encounter the evil one, perversion, deception. And somehow we look forward to, we hope in easygoing circumstances and happy encounters. Like that should be our day. God, if you're going to give me a quote-unquote good day, it's going to look like that. It's going to be a yellow brick road. Question is, well, what did you write down on your piece of papers? What did you write down there? Something you look forward to when you woke up, when you walked out that door? My guess is that it wasn't finding out you're going to take a pay cut or not getting promoted. My guess is it wasn't going to a, a gathering where I'm going to see my ex. 
My guess is it wasn't going to, to, to that feeling of knowing you're going to have to make a difficult decision that no matter what you choose, it's going to make you look bad. My guess is it wasn't those things that made you walk with a pep in your step as you got out that door. It's probably something along the lines of a nice brunch with some friends, getting a pat on the back at work, or, or seeing your kids' faces if they achieve success or earn some honor. Those are the things we look forward to. And we think that God is always in those. Yet John says there are two opposing forces at work when you walk out the door. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So when you walk out that door, you walk into a war. We should expect this. The hope, the encouragement, the what we should kind of end up writing down is that you go to war with the winner. Every day you walk out that door, you go to war with the winner, the one who has eternal life. Look with me in verses 4 and 5, some of the great verses in all of Scripture. Uh, a memory verse is set up on my mirror, actually. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, our trust in the winner, our relationship with the winner. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? By the way, this word belief, if you go back and and look in the Greek and the whole New Testament is written in Greek, the Greek word pisteuo is translated belief, faith, or trust. So when you see belief, faith, or trust in the Bible, it's always the same Greek word. I, like to, I prefer using the word trust because I think it conveys the sense of the mind, will, emotions. For today's world, what was supposed to be meant back then, giving all of oneself to Jesus, trusting oneself to Jesus versus just a mental belief. But that's the idea. Who is it that overcomes the world? It's the one who trusts that Jesus the Son of God. But because we live in a world at war, it's probably helpful to know I've found there are two kinds of trust in the Christian life, two kinds of trust you operate with. One that kind of wilts as life goes on, and one that survives and grows and endures and overcomes. There's an if trust and a though trust. Those sound like just words. They're important. If trust says, if my day goes well, if my life is prosperous, if I'm happy, you know, if no one I love is hurt or dies, if I'm respected, I'll trust Jesus, I'll go to church, I'll give the time and the money I can afford. That kind of trust, friends, does wilt. Because you're trusting in things. You're trusting in the feel-goods of the faith, not in the one who produces the good. But there's a though trust as well. And that says, though the evil prosper, though I'm promised tribulation, though there is a cross today that i got to take up, though I may give up home, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, or property, I will trust in a great and a good God. 
It's the kind of trust that Job cries out. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And the more you live and you grow in a though trust in Jesus, the less anything will be able to tear you down in your life. The more you'll overcome in battles until one day you'll win the war with Jesus. So what does this kind of overcoming trust kind of look like starting this week? I was thinking about that question. What does this kind of overcoming trust look like in a normal week, even starting this week? I would say it's this in a nutshell. Doing normal things abnormally. Do normal things abnormally as a response of trust to God who's great and God who's good. Doing normal things abnormally as a response of trust to a God who's great and a God who's good. I think Hebrews 11.6, a great verse about faith, about trust says as well, and encapsulates this idea. The author says, without trust, it's impossible to please God. And we know that's true. If you don't... The one thing that earns favor with God is trust in Jesus. That's it. Nothing you do, nothing you say, no way you perform in your life, the way you dress, what you do or don't do, those things don't earn you favor with God. There's one thing, that's trust. And that continues to please God as you live the Christian life. Without trust, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to God must believe that He exists, that he's great, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That he's good. That he rewards, he blesses. God is great and God is good. As a result, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to do things to show God in a relationship with him that I trust him. And that's what Hebrews goes on to say. After that verse, by faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham walked outside his door, went to a different country. By faith, Rahab said yes to some spies, some foreign spies that came into her house. Let me give you some examples of some normal things that begin done abnormally through Jesus Christ. Just a warm smile in the hallway versus the head down or glance away avoidance. <laughs> By faith, through trust, believing that God can show his love through a warm smile. So you just choose to do that. You're going to encounter people anyway, normally. Why not do the abnormal thing? Take lunch normally. But once a week, taking the BLT outside for a deeper study of the Bible and a quiet moment in prayer. Doing a normal thing abnormally. Respond to your child's questions. A normal thing. But through trust, by faith, put down what you're doing. Get down to their level and listen, trusting that God can use this moment as a building block in their life. Encountering a hard or humbling situation with trust, with the attitude of, instead of fighting it, what do you want to do in me and through me here, Lord? You know? Some more examples. Joining friends at a pub but not just for the friendships, 
but by faith, looking for opportunities to give away the good news? Or is there a moment here where I start to share my testimony? Or a little bit about Jesus with my friend? A normal thing done abnormally. This week, I was going to go do a normal thing, which was go to Foster's up by the airport. Um, actually, that's not normal for me. I do very little grocery shopping. I'm going, to be, I'm going to admit that to you right now. But my wife and kids left for vacation ahead of me. And so um, I went to Foster's to stock up, you know, frozen foods. It's where it's at. But I just prayed before I went, and Lord, just a moment of trust for me. Lord, surprise me with opportunities to encourage someone. I'm going to walk in this grocery store. Surprise me with an opportunity to encourage somebody. I saw two persons that I've actually been wanting to encourage. I've been thinking about seeing them and encouraging them, and and boom, there they were. It was amazing. Grocery shopping by faith. It can happen to you. (laughs) This trust in Jesus is the secret weapon we have. Sometimes it's a quiet weapon a lot of times. It's not always the missions trip or forsaking all we own or the get-in-your-face hallelujahs, but trusting that Jesus is God and that he loves us respond with the same deeds done differently, abnormally. John goes on to solidify. He says that we can solidify this trust through trusting reliable witnesses. He says that in this passage. We can't go through the whole passage. We'll try our best, though. These reliable witnesses come our way. First, he talks about these people who witness to this Jesus we're called to trust in. The reliable witnesses being, first of all, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. All right, read with me, starting in verse 6. This is he who came by water, by blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by water and the blood. This is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. Here are the three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. These three agree. The simplest reading here is the idea that, and I think the right reading, is John's referring to the Spirit speaking at the waters of baptism. The beginning of Jesus' ministry. And he's speaking about the cross, the blood shed on the cross, the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. As we saw last week, John doesn't leave us merely to subjective feelings, but he points to historical fact. That your faith can be based on historical fact. Last week we saw that your love is based on fact. For his readers who were just decades away, it would have been huge to hear, again, that he and many others were there at the waters of Jesus' baptism. They could testify to watching the Spirit descend on Jesus like a dove. Likewise, John, along with many of Jesus' female disciples, all the men had run away, witnessed his death. Witnessed the darkness that came with his death and the tearing of the veil in the temple. He witnessed a murderous thief put his faith in this Jesus who was dying on a cross. Amazing. And before you say, Man, well, that was back then. How can I believe that now? Like we're 2,000 years later. Let me ask you, have you ever said before, man, it's hard to trust anybody anymore? Or it's hard to believe anyone nowadays. Has anyone ever thought that? In an honest moment, I'm guessing you have. Yet we're so much more quick to still trust media, technology, news that's new. Even though with the glut of media on various issues, it has to come out and backtrack. Say, now we were wrong. 
And so we practice chronological snobbery, what C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery. Just because it's new, it's better, it's more reliable. I want to encourage you, if, if you're stuck in that, and I understand that feeling, it's hard not to get in that idea that it's new, it's not recent, so it must not be as true. I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon series we did last August on how the Bible was built. And you get some very clear answers on how the Bible is put together. The PowerPoints are there with it. Very readable and straightforward regarding how reliable the testimony of God's Word really is. Hence, we read in verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men, that's one thing. The new news. The technology that comes out. But the testimony of God is greater. It's greater. God preserved this testimony. And we can tell when you read it's greater. It's better. It's more reliable. It's true. We also get this witness of eternal life within. We read that in verses 10 through 12. Whoever believes and trusts in the Son of God has this testimony within himself, eternal life. And whoever has the Son has this life within him. It's this newness of life experienced first through the immediately release of guilt. Because Jesus has forgiven you. And it expands outward and it changes to what you love. The things you love, what you say, even how your look changes, your countenance changes. God means this eternal life in you to expand outward so much so that when eternity hits, it's going to be a very smooth transition for you into eternity. Because eternal life has been living inside of you, expanding outward into changing who you are. That's another testimony. And both of these kinds of witnesses are needed. Because without the objective historical testimony, you could point to the peace offered by Zen Buddhism and yoga and say, yeah, that changes my life. That gives me peace. Or you could point to the positivity of self-help gurus and Oprah and say, yeah, that creates some change in my life. Give me a few tips to help me. But his testimony establishes that this is true. This Bible is true and reliable, as true then as it is now. And so because it has a pretty good track record, it's probably going to be eternal and continue forever. But likewise, historical truth can become cold, can become lifeless. We've got to wonder, does this change me? Does this let me know I have significance and worth in my life? And so we need that life within us, that testimony of life in here. And just like last week, this is cool how God's Word fits together. We had the fact of love and the act of love last week. And so we need a witness outside of us on days when we can't see what's happening in here. We can't feel what's happening in here. And we also need the life to shine within us when we encounter doubts from without. Like the man who born blind in John 9. I don't know what they think. One thing I do know, I once was blind, but now I see. We need that testimony as well. The last thing John tells us here, the last thing we'll talk about this morning, is that we continue to overcome by trusting that God hears us. Look at verse 14. And this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So first of all, breaking this down, he hears us. If you've trusted your life to Jesus, God hears everything. He's listening. With Katie and the boys gone for the last few days, I've watched a spot of Wimbledon 
on uh, yesterday morning, and uh, you gotta love Wimbledon. It's tennis at its most polite. Tennis, for such a quiet game, players do a lot of talking, actually. Have you noticed that? They actually talk quite a bit. You just can't hear them because they're usually talking to themselves. You know, and, and, and it was interesting because the TV coverage was kind of bouncing around from match to match. So I just sort of decided to mentally play a game. This is what happens when I'm by myself for a few days and get a little crazy. Uh, of just seeing, like, are there, is there anyone that I'm watching who doesn't talk to themselves at some point? And sure enough, every single player at some point, you know, talk to themselves. And, and, and some of them will talk into their towel at times. Like, you know, you see this, or they'll talk into their hand like, you know, I don't know what they're saying. It's probably gentle encouragement. You know, maybe they're saying, thank you, hand. I appreciate you, you know, I love you. You know, it's crazy. Kind of nuts. It's, it's handemonium, if you will. It's awful. I thought, yeah, I thought that joke would come in handy. It's awful. You may fire me for that. And if so, I'll have to live hand to mouth. Yeah. Keep going? Really? Are you going to lend me? Oh, sorry, I'm going to stop. Okay. It's awful. Let's move on. But we do this also in life. We talk to ourselves. Think about it. We think when we encounter something hard at work that we don't really want to do, man, I just need to get through this. We say of our children, man, why have they started to do this? Why have they started to act this way? It's probably Jim's fault. He's not around enough. Or Jane is being too overbearing. That's clearly the answer here. Or we ask, what am I going to do when we're in a relational pickle or we face a giant-sized task? What am I going to do here? Young people here this morning. Okay, mom, dad, I get the point. Please chill already. That's what we think in our mind. We talk to ourselves silently. And we're told in verse 14, though, God hears us. John uses this word here, akuo, 59 times in his gospel, 16 times in his letters. He loves this word. God hears us. And John's particular use suggests this kind of attentive listening or listening favorably. Do you hear that? Attentive listening or listening favorably. So why not do something you in the world normally do anyway? Talk to yourself and curve that outwards. You're going to do it anyway. Curve it outwards. Just like last week, we talked about loving without, pray without, talk without to God, to someone both great and good who listens attentively and favorably to you. Imagine what would happen if just need to get through this was addressed to God who is attentive. It would likely morph into, Lord, help blow away my expectations with this. If why have I started, you know, why have my kids started to act this way to God would likely morph into, wow, Lord, I'm a sinner too. (laughs) Help you deal more tenderly with your child. And Lord, show me how I can lovingly address this with my son, with my daughter. What am I going to do in this situation to God will morph into, man, God, this is part of your plan. I'm not alone. I'm going to completely rely on you for help and strength, knowing that if you're in this, I can't fail. So talking to God, even with your complaints, morphs into something else. God listens to us. We're also told here 
to pray according to his will. I want to share something with you that Jesus said in Luke chapter 10. He said this, the 72 returned. These are the disciples who returned after ministering in great power. They returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. In other words, they're casting out demons. Big things are happening. And Jesus said to him, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Wouldn't that be awesome? In a worship service, boom, Satan cast down. Behold, I have given you authority to tread the serpents, scorpions, all the, and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, but rejoice that the spirit, or the, don't rejoice in the fact that spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Some of us look around and wonder, what are we going to ask for God for the big things, the legendary miracle, the phenomenon that will cause revival and then go viral? How about this? Getting names written in heaven. It's super fun to be spot on and pray all the wild things God might do, His hidden will, what theologians call His will of decree, but most people that are in touch with God in prayer saturate themselves with what God says in this book he rejoices in. The one sinner who returns. The names that are written in heaven. So I'm grateful. I want to actually commend folks on our pre-service prayer team. There are folks who get together and pray, sometimes just a few, sometimes more, at 9 o'clock every morning before the service. They have faithfully prayed. I want to encourage you guys. I got to pray with someone after last week's service who wants to trust her life to Christ, who is desiring there, trust her life to Christ. The next day, I met with a man who over the past three months, listening to 1 John, has decided to trust his life to Jesus. That is just tells me, his name is written in heaven. Rejoice, friends. Rejoice. Prayers answered. I think these are a result of your prayers. We're told something else about praying according to his will here. Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, ask, and God will give him life. You can just pray. God wants to give life. That's according to his will to give life to people. You pray. God will insert life into their life. That's a wonderful thing about prayer, prayer according to his will. If you know it's according to his will, you'd be confident it's going to happen. I remember the famous missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, once saying, it is possible to move men by prayer alone. Finally, he says anything, anything we ask for. In verse 14, he also says, this is the confidence. And then in verse 15, we know that we have these requests we've asked of him. They hear that confidence. If you go back a couple hundred years in Christian history to a guy named John Newton, sinner, slave trader, turn Christian, turn hymn writer, turn pastor, famous for writing the wonderful hymn, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound saved a wretch like me. When he started following Christ, he would receive almost unbelievable answers to prayers because he was confident to the point where he would exercise what he called large or confident asking. Large or confident asking. When people would come to him and ask what he meant, he liked to cite the legendary story of a man who asked Alexander the Great to give him a huge sum of money in exchange for his daughter's hand in marriage. Remember Alexander the Great conquered most of the known world at the time? Could be ruthless as well. And this man comes to him 
and ask Alexander the Great to give him a huge sum of money in exchange I'll give you my daughter's hand in marriage. You're asking this to a guy who's essentially conquered the known world and has executed a lot of people. But Alexander agreed. And he told the man to request of Alexander's treasure whatever he wanted. So the father of the bride went and he asked for an enormous amount. I mean, an obscene amount. And the treasurer was startled and said, hey, I can't give you that kind of money unless I go to the king himself. That request is too big for my pay pay grade. So he goes to Alexander. The treasurer argued, hey, man, we can just give him a fraction of this money and it will do the job. Alexander replied, no, let him have it all. He said, "I, I like that fellow. He does me honor. He treats me like a king and proves by what he asks that he believes me to be both rich and generous. John Newton concluded, in the same way we should go to the throne of God and his grace and present petitions that express confident views of the love and the riches and the bounty of our king. Friends, God's orientation, his posture is to be wildly generous with the person who prays like he will be. I want to close just encourage you. Remember this about faith. Size doesn't matter. When it comes to faith, size doesn't matter. Just the size of the God on the other end. Remember the mustard seed. It's still true today. That's all you need. I heard some great advice from a father to a son recently. He said, 20 seconds of courage is all it takes to change your life. He said, just that 20 seconds of stepping out. Friends, just one small but courageous act, that one 20 seconds of doing a normal thing abnormally as a response of trust in a good and great God brings great pleasure to him. And just might win some battles in the war that wages around you. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful. We are thankful that you hear us. We are thankful that this Jesus is true and reliable. We know it because of this witness that's in us, eternal life. We know it because of this Bible we hold in our hands. And so we want to walk by faith. Every day, Lord, we walk out into different battles in our lives. We kind of hope that the way God will be with us is giving us all daisies and roses and nice smelling things and happy encounters. But the reality is, God shows His goodness by walking out with us every day that we get to do battle with the winner, with God who overcomes this world. So we pray, Lord, by faith that we would begin to overcome the world around us, to win battles by just doing normal things abnormally, with just a touch of faith, with a step out in trust. God says to do it this way, so I'm going to do it this way. God says to love someone in this, so I'm going to do it like that. God says to expect something when I walk in a grocery store or when I sit in line in the queue at the CUC. Help us. Just step out. Give us that 20 seconds of faith to step out, to open our mouths, to extend an embrace or a smile to someone nearby. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.